The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. When the Magi had gone, the wise men from the east, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the struggles that I face every year when it comes to our celebration of Christmas, both in our culture and in the church, is how to balance the festive joy of the season with the profound challenge of the gospel narratives. Every year I try to take seriously the challenge of Advent to be a time of reflection and lament and preparation, recognizing that things in this world are not the way that they are supposed to be, that we stand in need of a Savior And balancing that against the cultural glamour and the the shopping season that seems to get longer every year. And every year I also try to take seriously the challenge of Christmas. The challenge of the Gospels that our God came into this world of darkness to save the lost and call all nations back to himself in the hope of the coming kingdom. Every year it's a struggle to keep these things balanced. Every year it seems that we build and build and build to Christmas and then we just drop it and move on. We strip our homes of festive lights. We throw our trees out on the curb with the piles of crumpled up wrapping paper, broken down boxes and Chinese takeout containers. We go back to life as usual. And by the time New Year's rolls around, our homes, our neighborhoods, our stores look like Christmas never happened. I wonder if our lives look like Christmas never happened as well. I've been reading a lot this week about Christmas, and a number of things that I have been reading wondered whether Christians in North America sentimentalize the Christmas story 
in the way that, in the same way that our culture sentimentalizes the Christmas season. An article in the banner by Justin Bailey from Dort University in Iowa, an article in Christianity Today by David Fuller, David Taylor uh, from Fuller Seminary in California, a sermon by Fleming Rutledge, a pastor from New York City. All of these things wondered whether we are too sentimental about the story of Jesus' birth, whether we read this story for the warm fuzzies that it makes us feel rather than for the radical challenge that it offers for our lives and for the world. How do we connect the story of the promised child, the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, heralded by angels, adored by shepherds? How do we connect that to the messy, dark, often sad reality of life in this world? How do we read the Christmas story in a world of pain? How do we celebrate Christ's birth in light of the conflicts around the world? In Somalia, Afghanistan, Syria, Nigeria, Sudan, in an era when churches of all traditions and all denominational affiliations are being revealed to have been complicit in generations of child abuse. How do we announce the advent of our Lord in a world where children die every day from hunger, abuse, abandonment, and war? Too often we sanitize the Christmas story. And the danger of erasing the shadows, erasing the darkness from the story of Jesus' birth is that a clean and happy Christmas story doesn't have anything to say to a dark and broken world. It becomes an escape from the reality of this world. When it's supposed to call us into this world, just as Christ came into this world, just as God came into this world. And this is where I think Matthew's gospel can help us. Luke's story can become so familiar, so nostalgic, that it's easy to sanitize, to read past the challenge that it offers to us today. Can't do that with Matthew. Matthew's story of Jesus' birth is strange and uncomfortable. A very different Christmas story. Matthew starts his gospel announcement by pointing us to the difficult stories of Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary, five women who found themselves in vulnerable and desperate situations, who gave birth to children of promise, whose births sparked a new hope in God's faithfulness. And then we get a series of ominous dreams in which God speaks words of warning and of hope to Joseph, to the Magi. We get a visit from Eastern astrologers and magicians, a desperate midnight escape, a refugee family fleeing to Egypt. And over it all, the specter, the shadow of a violent and paranoid king who murders babies. Matthew's gospel has no songs of joy, no angel choirs, no animals in the stable. All that could be nostalgic and sentimental about the nativity story is stripped 
away. In Matthew's gospel, the Christ child is born into a strange and troubled world of dreams, signs, kings, and death. We're going to be spending some significant time over this coming year in Matthew's gospel. In January, we're going to be walking through the Sermon on the Mount, the first of Jesus' teachings from Matthew's Gospel. And over Lent, as we prepare for Easter, celebrating the resurrection, we'll be walking through other passages from the Gospel of Matthew about Jesus' ministry and life and suffering and death. And so the question that I want to ask today, as we wrestle with this difficult and troubling narrative, is this. What is Matthew doing? What is Matthew's agenda in this gospel? Why does he start it with these really difficult stories? Stories of abused and abandoned women, of dreams and magicians, of kings who murder babies. I think it's clear that the biggest thing that Matthew is trying to show us, obviously, is what kind of a savior Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah, the fulfillment of God's promises to his people throughout the scriptures, a new Moses who makes God's law clear for God's people, a new David who establishes the kingdom of heaven on earth. And this new king is a king, Matthew says, for all nations, not just for the people of Israel, but for all nations, for all in this world who find themselves living in the valley of the shadow of death, surrounded by the wicked and horrific consequences of the greed and wrath of the powers of this world a kingdom of refuge, a kingdom of peace that breaks into the darkness of this world to shine the light of hope and faith and love. And all of this is embodied in the person of Jesus who Matthew calls Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew doesn't present us with a God who opens a path for us to escape from the darkness of this world to join him in some spiritual, well-lit heaven. Matthew challenges us with a God who steps down into this physical world of suffering and death. And that's, what, that's what's happening in Matthew's story of Christmas. The death of the sons of Bethlehem, the cry of lament of Rachel weeping for her children. These parts of the story root the birth of Jesus firmly in the suffering and the horror of this world. By placing the voice of a mother weeping for her children at the heart of the Christmas story, Matthew roots the birth of Jesus firmly in the suffering and brokenness and wickedness of this world and of our lives. Evil, sin, death, in Matthew's gospel, these are a central part of the story of Jesus' birth. 
a central part of the gospel that we cannot choose to ignore. For Matthew, the birth of Jesus must face the reality of injustice and death because that is the reality of our lives. For Matthew, a gospel that only makes sense in times of joy and celebration is not good news. The gospel must be for people facing the horror of wickedness, the agony of injustice, the valley of the shadow of death, because this is the reality of this world. And this is the world that Jesus comes to save. That's what kind of a savior Jesus is. But that's not all of what Matthew is trying to teach us here as he sets the stage for the great divine teacher's first sermon. Matthew is trying to show us what kind of savior our Jesus is, but he's also setting the stage for what it means to be a disciple, for what it means to follow this Messiah what it means to be a citizen of this new kingdom of heaven in a world of darkness. The lives of these five women who do their best to live faithfully in desperate and impossibly awful situations. The journey of the Magi who travel across mountains and deserts in the hope of meeting the Savior of the world. The horrible deaths of the children of Bethlehem. All of these stories offer us a picture of discipleship, a picture of what it means to put our faith, our loyalty, our trust in this Savior. Even in impossible situations, even in the messiness and darkness of life in this world, Matthew shows us that we can face the darkness without fear because God is there with us. We can face loss and grief and abuse and terror and even death because the powers of this world do not get the final say. We know that there is a promise greater than the threat of death. We know that there is a light that shines brighter than the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. We know that even in our misery, even in our suffering, even in our sadness, even in our grief, we can be faithful because this is the reality of the world that this child of promise has come to save. The Apostle Matthew quotes a lot of Old Testament prophecies in this story and throughout his gospel. But there's one prophecy that I want to focus on as we wrap up our reflection on this story. After King Herod, like Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, sends the order to slaughter all the young boys of Bethlehem, Matthew quotes this prophecy from Jeremiah 31. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Matthew uses these words of scripture, these words of prophecy from Jeremiah to give voice to the sorrow and anguish of this story 
a sorrow and anguish repeated the world over by all who have lost children for no reason, who echo Rachel's weeping for her children, her refusing to be comforted. Matthew uses these ancient words of Scripture to give voice to the lament of all in this world who suffer unspeakable tragedy at the hands of those in power. But this passage in the book of Jeremiah is actually a passage of hope. Like Matthew, Jeremiah gives voice to the unspeakable anguish of unjust suffering in this world in the context of God's promises and of the hope that we have. In the very next verse in Jeremiah 31, God says, Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your children will return to the land of the en- from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your descendants. And God goes on to declare his promises to restore his people in the land that he has promised them. And when we read this story in the context of Matthew's Christmas story, this very different Christmas story, we find that this is a story of the most profound hope that invites us to put our faith in the promises of God, even in the most hopeless circumstances. The Bible doesn't offer easy answers to the reality of suffering and injustice in this world. It doesn't give us easy justification for making sense of what is senseless violence and wickedness in this world. God doesn't allow us to pretend that horrible evils don't happen every day of our lives or that we will be spared from them if we are followers of Jesus. Matthew names this reality. And he wants us, as we seek to be formed and shaped by the Jesus of Matthew's gospel, as we learn from the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, as we encounter his ministry in Galilee and Jerusalem, as we recite again the story of his betrayal and his suffering and his passion and his death, Matthew wants us to carry with us the grief of Rachel weeping for her children, to carry with us the death of the children of Bethlehem, killed by a jealous king, to carry with us the hopes and fears of all the years, because this is the world that Jesus comes to save. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Our merciful God, our powerful God, it can be so easy for us to pretend that terrible things don't happen, 
when they don't happen to us. It can be easy for us to think that life is good. And it can be difficult for us to pray with the suffering Christians around the world. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But we know the truth of your gospel. We know, we see the brokenness, the agony, the pain in this world that is caused by sin. And we lift it up to you. In times of hopelessness, in times of grief, in times of despair, in times when we cannot make sense of the wickedness around us, we pray for your light to shine in the darkness, for your spirit to give us strength in our wandering, for your word to give us courage and guidance that we may live faithfully in the light of your kingdom even as we walk in the darkness of this world. In the name of Jesus, our King, Emmanuel, we pray. Amen.